The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by IBM. Big data at the speed of business. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. I want to take a moment to thank members of our military who are serving abroad this holiday season. Thank you for being with us again. We're going to do something unusual for our program during the next hour. Uh, We're going to take a step back from politics and economics. We're not going to talk about climate change or energy or other global challenges that we face. Uh, Instead, today, you're going to hear a story about discovering what really matters in life. And and I'm going to warn you, I'm going to give you a fair warning in advance uh, you might want to get a box of Kleenex ready because in just a moment, Martin Spinelli is going to be joining us to talk about his book, After the Crash, and how an unimaginable disaster can, in the blink of an eye, bring new purpose and meaning to life. But before Mr. Spinelli joins us, as is my custom each week, let me tell you a little about his background. Originally from New Jersey, Martin Spinelli's love affair with mass media began when he was a teenager and he got his start in radio. From here, he went on to become a reporter, anchor, and program manager in Buffalo, New York. He's known for developing the radio series Line Break and Radio Radio, which are included in the collection of the Museum of Television and Radio in New York. Spinelli holds degrees from the University of Sussex and Virginia Tech, as well as a Ph.D. from the University at Buffalo. He was the founder of the academic radio program at the City University of New York at Brooklyn College and is widely known for his essays on media, art and history. And up until the fall of 2006, it would have been fair to characterize Spinelli as an ambitious, driven trailblazer. But this is where the story changes. And in just a moment, we're going to hear a remarkable tale about how we can be marching with great certainty down one path and suddenly find ourselves moving in an entirely different direction. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Costa Report a loving father, inspirational writer, and living example of forgiveness, Mr. Martin Spinelli. Thank you for being with us today, Mr. Spinelli. Thank you very much for having me, Rebecca. So I'm going to ask you to set the stage by talking about what life was like just before the crash. Because I under, as I understood it, you were getting ready to give one of the most important speeches of your career at a media conference in Sunderland when you received a knock on your hotel door. I, I was. I had, a, I had a really, really great life. Um, I was an academic. I was a radio producer. I had... Lots and lots of accomplishments under my belt. Um, the world was my oyster, really. I was traveling around with lots of invitations to talk about my work, to lecture, and to produce things. And um, and things were 
things were really, really rosy on a career front. But um, my my story, the story of my discovering what's really important, um, begins uh, in a little town of, of Lewis in the southeast of England. Um, I was living there with my wife, Sasha, and our son, Leo, who was then four, and she drove me to the train station in Lewis, like she had done many, many, many times before. Um, She was on her way to her job at the University of Kent at Canterbury, and Leo was uh, with her um, uh, going to daycare there, and I was on my way up north to give this keynote lecture, this keynote speech at this major international media conference. Um, So she dropped me off at the station. Um, I got out of the car, as I always did after having said goodbye, but something made me stop and and get back in the car. Um, I opened the back door, got in the back seat, and put my hand on my son Leo's cheek. And I said something apropos of nothing, completely... um, random and over the top, really, it seemed at the time. I I looked Leo in the eye and I said, Leo, remember, I'll always be with you. And I'd never said anything like that before and and never felt the need to say anything like that before. Um, But I just let it pass and got out of the car and Sasha got out and um, she came around and she gave me another kiss goodbye. And she said something that was equally weird, equally strange. She said, don't let these pessimistic Brits get you down which was bizarre because she was British. Um, <laughs> and I, I often thought of, of us both um, as, um, uh, as certainly very critical of foolishness in the world around us. So, you know, we, were very, we were academics. We were very good at, at finding fault in things, if not even, even cynical. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, she, you know, what she said, had, it, 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 was, it was very odd. Um, but I, I thought nothing of it. She got back in the car. Um, they drove off up Station Street uh, in between the, the red brick buildings of, of Lewis on their way out of sight. And that was the last I would ever see Sasha again. So you go on the train and you go off to do your work for a couple of days. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I got, I got into the, went down in the station, got on the platform and headed up north. And a few hours later, um, I was in the lobby of my hotel waiting for a cab to come and take me to the conference venue when two police officers come in and they're heading towards me. And I knew something was up immediately because they, they lacked that kind of John Wayne swagger that I'm used to seeing on police officers. They looked a little bit nervous. They couldn't look me in the eye. Um, they come up to me and they say, are you Martin Spinelli? I said, yes. They said, well, we have some, some very difficult news. There's been a highway crash just outside of Canterbury. Your wife's Nissan Micra has been hit by a truck. A truck driver fell asleep at the wheel and she's been killed. And at that moment, I just fall down into the chair behind me. And they went on and they said, well, your son is also in a very, very bad way in a hospital in London. He's been very, very badly hurt um, and we need to get you to the airport. So they threw me in the back of their car. We raced to the airport, sirens blaring, traffic parting. I got on the first plane down south, um, landed in Heathrow, met by more police. And they were 
ferrying me, more sirens blaring, to the, to the hospital, to King's College Hospital in Camberwell in London. And on the way, I was asking them, uh, I asked them if they could try to find some information about the condition of my son in the hospital. And they, they kind of tried in a half-hearted way on their radio. And I got a bit angry because I feel like they, they weren't trying like I wanted them to try. Um, and I only found out later that they, they didn't really try because they got the impression that my son was already dead. He might not make it, and they really didn't want to have to deal with that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. They didn't Th- want- their job was to get you there, and then whatever information you needed to have would be taken care of at the hospital. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. So we arrive at the hospital, and um, I race to pediatric intensive care. And I, I don't know, Rebecca, if you have any experience with pediatric intensive care, but for me, that was my first time in one of those spaces, and it was completely and utterly surreal. It was unlike anything I'd ever seen on TV, and um, I, I was completely thrown by it. It was extremely dark. There were machines everywhere, cords and tubes and cables and computer screens everywhere. And mm-hmm. I couldn't find anyone that I recognized as my son. I couldn't find Leo. I was running up and down, looking at the beds, trying to find him. Mm-hmm. Um, and my brother-in-law finally grabbed my shoulder, put my hand on, uh, his hand on my shoulder and spun me around. And there was Leo behind me on a hospital bed. And his head and neck were supported by foam blocks. He was under an air blanket, which periodically inflated and deflated to regulate his body temperature because the part of his brain that regulated body temperature was damaged in the crash. Mm-hmm. Now, we're going to have to take a, a, this is a terrible place to break, but because of our format, we have to go to a commercial break. So we're going to take a commercial break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about your first contact with Leo. Uh, and uh, and so uh, hold on, folks. I know you hate these breaks, but just hold on. We're going to come right back. You're listening to the Costa Report. Did you know that every day we create 2.5 quintillion bytes of data and that 90% of the data in the world today has been created in the last two years alone? This data comes from everywhere and it affects everyone. This data is big data. Big data is all data. And it's more than simply a matter of size. Big data represents an opportunity to uncover new insights, make your business more agile, and answer questions that were previously beyond your reach. IBM's big data platform uses sophisticated technologies and patented advanced analytics designed to complement your existing information infrastructure. The IBM Big Data platform allows you to get started quickly today and expand to address more complex problems tomorrow. It doesn't matter where you start. It matters that you start. Find out how IBM can help you turn big data into a competitive advantage by visiting ibm.com slash big data today. The best gifts I have ever received have been books. 
They're not expensive and they don't use electricity, but they do offer hours of enjoyment. So do I have good news for you. The new paperback edition of The Watchman's Rattle is available in bookstores everywhere, including airports across the country. This is the only book to expose just how complicated our lives and governance has become. It not only explains the reasons for gridlock, but it also provides the answers. So pick up the new paperback edition of The Watchman's Rattle for a friend. The book Richard Branson says is a must-read. And while you're at it, grab a copy for yourself. You'll be happy you did. Okay, gang. So, chances are there'll never be an emergency ever, ever again. Mm -hmm. But, just in case, let's talk about a plan. Okay. So, who's going to do what? Anyone? Uh... Yeah, okay, perfect. We'll figure it out as we go. So, who is going to grab the go bag? What's a go bag? It is a bag we do not have that is filled with things we really, really need in an emergency. Guess we won't have to worry about it then. Ah, good point. So, uh, we all know who to call if something happens then, right? I'd have to call Jill, Devin, Melissa, Karen, and... Bruce. And I will try to call all of you, but Greg doesn't have a cell phone. Dad's phone will have a dead battery. No doubt. And Julie will be on the phone with Jill, Devin, Melissa, Karen, and Bruce. Well, this is great. <laughs> I am so glad that we don't have a plan. I know. Winging it is not an emergency plan. Make sure your kids know what to do during an emergency. Who to call, where to meet, what to pack. Visit ready.gov kids for tips and information. A public service announcement brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't seen your lap in months. And even more stuff. But still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed. And they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs. And it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Got a comment or a question? Visit Rebecca Costa's comments page at RebeccaCosta.com. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is author of After the Crash, Martin Spinelli. And before the break, you were describing arriving at the hospital and the first time you see your son, and he's hooked up to all kinds of apparatus, and it's clear that he's been very badly injured. Now, now at this point, Leo is in a coma. Is that right? Yes, yeah. I, um, I, I find him there surrounded by a halo of computer screens. And um, he's got a, a terribly shattered and mutilated left leg. He's lost an inch of length on his leg because mm-hmm. of the of the crash. Um, he's got most of the hair shaved off the top of his head, a big gash on the top of his head, which is closed up with, with stitches, another wound on his forehead with more stitches. Um, and um, he's clinging to life by a very, very, very thin thread. And in that 
moment, in that instant, everything that I knew about my life and who I was and who we were was completely erased and just replaced with simple fear. I was terrified. Now, unlike stories that we hear about doctors being obtuse, uh, in this case, the doctors were pretty direct with you. Uh, They felt that your son's brain damage and the other injuries were so severe that he would never walk and uh, would not even be able to breathe unassisted. Is that pretty much the story? Yeah, that's right. I I, I remember as clear as if it was yesterday Mm -hmm. when the doctors came. I'd been by his bed for maybe an hour um, praying that he was going to live, and the doctors showed up and they said, Mr. Spinelli, we'd we'd like to have a word with you outside. Mm -hmm. So I followed them across the hall into a little conference room, and um, they said, look, we have to be honest with you. Um, Leah's chances look very, very bleak. There is very, very good possibility that he's not even going to survive until the morning. Mm -hmm. He's got severe brain damage. Um, He's got a terribly um, damaged leg. Um, We expect he's going to die, and we'd like you to consider the possibility of donating his organs. Um, At that moment, I was was just, I I, I was speechless. I I, I didn't know what to say. They wanted me to sit down, but I, I couldn't help it. I shot up and um, and, and ran to the corner as if I was trying to escape. And finally, I, I turned around and I said, okay, I, I hear what you've said, um, but tell me what happens if everything goes as well as it possibly could. What if everything goes right, as right as it can possibly go? What, what happens then? It's interesting that as they're telling you the facts, because these doctors, they weren't sugarcoating anything. No. They were just laying it out for you. And uh, that's not always the case, but it was in this case. But as they're telling you this, it's not resonating as the truth. There's something in you that's saying, I hear what you're saying. I know you want me to make a decision and to take action. But there's something that's not resonating here. Yeah, I simply, I simply didn't believe it, and 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 you didn't believe it because it wasn't the truth. It wasn't the truth, and you know, bizarrely, the the last words of my wife Sasha about not letting pessimistic Brits get me down were ringing in my ears at that because moment. here they were because here they were right in front of me being more pessimistic. You thought it was the guys, possibly, right? You thought it was the guys at the conference. Oh no, no, no. Absolutely no, it's the not. guy is at the hospital you're not supposed to listen to. Exactly, exactly. So I said, well, what happens if everything goes right? Mm-hmm. And, and one of them says, well, maybe if we're all extremely lucky, maybe one day Leo, my son, could, could attend a school for the severely handicapped. Um, I thank them. And, and you um, know, at that moment, I'd take that deal any day. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it, it was, it was a, a, you know, a tremendous blow, that being their best case scenario. Mm-hmm. But they said, you know, as I'm thinking, well, you know, that's horrendous because Sasha and I were academics, you know, brains were really important in our family, uh, accomplishing things, uh, you know, critically and professionally was really important to us. Um, you know, what is, 
what what is the future and um as i'm i'm out the door they want to they want to stop me and they say but you you have to you have to hear what we said at the beginning oh you heard that, it you heard that, it that, yeah that, that's an extreme long shot they said you know you shouldn't let yourself hope that because again there's every possibility he's going to be dead by morning so I, I, with that, I left and I went back to my son's bed and I prayed like I've never prayed before. And I meditated and I conjured up all of these images of Leo doing all of the things that every four-year-old boy was meant to do. Going on campouts in the woods, climbing mountains, going on canoe trips, doing everything that I did as a child and everything that every other four-year-old is meant to do has their, their, their childhood opening up before them. And I sat there watching his computer screens, watching his air blanket inflate and deflate. And when the sun came up that next morning, he was still there. He was still with us. He had beaten what was their most rational, rational reasonable, sensible prognosis that he was going to die by morning. And the simple fact that he was still alive was this tiny seed of hope that I clung on to and, and wanted to grow desperately. And that was what I, what I held on to. I've got him. He's alive, and he's beaten that first prognosis. And, and the most important thing is you had physical evidence the doctors were wrong. They were wrong. They were. They were wrong. And, and, and so, you know, that's, that's already something to build on. And I believe the language that you use is believing in recovery. Absolutely. And, and that, the, the, the simple fact, and this is quite hard for, for an academic to say, the simple fact that I had faith. And, you know, when you say faith, you open yourself up to all kinds of criticisms. But, but you know, for me, in that moment, I believed in his recovery. I, I religiously pushed out all of the negativity, all of the, the dire prognoses, and slowly but surely, little by little, step by step, Leo got better. He was at, when, he, when he survived, the doctor said, oh, that's great, but prepare yourself for the fact that he might be in a coma for the rest of his life. Well, within... 11 days, his eyes open, and he's out of a coma. Again, the doctors pat me on the back and say, good job, that's great. Yeah, but don't but, get your hopes too high, exactly, right? Exactly, <laughs> but don't hope, but don't hope for more than that. There this, you go. Because he's probably never going to eat on his own again. He's probably never going to breathe on his own again. He's probably never going to wash his face again. And at each one of these prognoses, every time they res- revised up their best-case scenario, mm-hmm. Leo just refused to listen. He refused to listen, and he got on with the work of his recovery, and step by step by step, he made it out of the hospital door. He cheated death. He cheated all of their, their incredibly dire prognoses, and within three months, three months after the crash that killed his mother and probably should have killed him, he was going to a mainstream, normal primary school. The primary school he was meant to go to before the crash. When now on that note, we're going to take a good commercial break here because uh, now we know the end of the story, which is, well, it's not the end of the story, but we know that Leo fully recovers. When we come back, we're going to talk about that road to recovery and what that was like and what other folks can expect if they're faced with these kinds of tragedies. We'll be right back with Martin Spinelli. You're listening to the Costa Report. 
I'm Amy Tobin, cookbook author and culinary expert. Strawberries, blueberries, blackberries, and raspberries. Dole has a bounty of berries ripe for the picking. Fresh berries are not only delicious, but some of the most powerful disease-fighting foods available. Researchers have found that berries have some of the highest antioxidant levels of any fresh fruits. So add a handful or two of your favorite berries to your next meal and enjoy their nutritional benefits and natural sweetness in all of your dishes, from salads to desserts and everything in between. For fresh tips and ideas from Dole's berry experts, visit berries.dole.com. And be sure to check out the pages of mouthwatering recipes. Whether it's a sweet and savory blueberry cranberry chicken salad or a simple strawberry sorbet, Dole has the perfect berry to inspire your next berrylicious dish. This is the story of Daniel, who was born two months early. He weighed one pound, seven ounces. His lungs weren't ready. His heart wasn't ready. His brain wasn't ready. At the hospital, the nurses said Daniel was a fighter, and they would do all they could to help him. The doctor said even with the best care, Daniel may never walk. He may never see. He may never learn. Daniel's parents spent night after night at the hospital, watching his every breath, holding his tiny hands, and looking for signs that he was growing stronger. At home, his parents looked around Daniel's empty nursery, at the quiet toys and the still rocker, and they hoped that one day they could sit in that rocking chair and tell this story to their very healthy son. Daniel's is just one of the more than 500,000 stories of babies born prematurely last year. But there's hope for a happy ending. The March of Dimes is funding the research and programs to stop premature birth. You can help bring more babies home healthy. Learn how at marchofdimes.com. Working together for stronger, healthier babies. Owning a home is the American dream, but today's economy is challenging. Have you fallen behind on your mortgage payments? Many homeowners facing financial difficulty often feel lost and don't know where to turn for help. The airwaves are filled with offers of fast and simple relief. However, many find these offers often lead to damaged credit, higher debt, and ultimately the loss of one's home. If it seems like there's no way out, know there is legitimate help available. The National Foundation for Credit Counseling is a nonprofit organization that has provided answers and concrete solutions to consumers in situations just like yours for more than 60 years. Our certified housing specialists will work with you to review your finances and create a custom plan that's right for your specific situation. NFCC member agencies provide free and affordable help and meet U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development standards. Call 866-687-6322 or visit mortgagehelpnow.org. On the next episode of Recipes for Disaster. So we've got our neighbor Paul coming over tonight for a barbecue, which is why I prepared a delicious lemon rosemary steak marinade for my special collection of old family recipes. To make sure the steaks are extra, extra, extra tender, I left them marinating out on the counter overnight, just like Nana used to. Maria may mean well, but without food safety, it never ends well. Always thaw or marinate foods in the refrigerator at 40 degrees Fahrenheit or below. Or you could make your friends and family really sick. Maria's neighbor Paul didn't think twice about the steak he ate until he was presenting his company's financial forecast to the board. That's when a sudden bout of food poisoning made it explicitly clear that profits weren't the only thing on the rise. Watch Recipes for Disaster at foodsafety.gov. You'll learn the right steps as Maria does everything wrong. Brought to you by the USDA, HHS, and the Ad Council. 
Take a moment to see Rebecca's video pick of the week. Go to YouTube and subscribe to the Rebecca Costa YouTube channel. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and if you're just joining us, my guest today is Martin Spinelli. And before the break, we were talking about believing in recovery and how that means pushing the odds and negative prognosis and also the fear aside and allowing yourself to choose a different truth, uh, the one that may not be based on empirical data, but on what you know to be true in your heart and your bones, right down to your bones. Um, uh, for listeners today who, who may have had their lives suddenly disrupted by tragedy, how did you start the process of coming back? Um, well, it, it began really in the hospital when, when Leo was so badly injured and so near death. Um, when we were struggling every day um, with the reality of the fact that his mother had died, was killed in the crash, um, uh, and just trying to get him to make the next step forward on his recovery out of the door. And when you're so focused on um, on a recovery, um, everything else just kind of fades away into the background. And I had a lot of support from my family, and we worked incredibly hard um, on, on his recovery as a team. Um, I, I remember in particular doing massages on him, um, on his face, tracing lines and circles on his face and his hands and his limbs while he was listening to special brain-stimulating music that the occupational therapist had given us. And I remember his, his eyes opening um, uh, when he was just coming out of a coma. And mm-hmm. I remember the, the sheer ecstasy and the sheer joy in my, in my whole body when I saw his little blue eyes open for the first time, when I thought that they would never open again, or when I'd been told that they would never open again. So um, the simple fact that I was forced to focus on just his recovery and not worry about my resume, my job, my mortgage payments, my car insurance. Well, but in the meantime, how are you supporting yourself? How are you conducting normal affairs of life? Or are you just abandoning them? You know what? Um, I had, for the first three months, for those three months when we were in the hospital, I abandoned them. And there was nothing that... That and nothing I had happened to you. And nothing, and remarkably, <laughs> Rebecca, nothing bad happened. The sky didn't fall, right? I, I just didn't worry about all that other stuff that I used to worry about incessantly. All that and, stuff that had to get done every single day, you just walked away from it and nothing bad happened. Exactly. All those <laughs> emails that I never responded to, and you know what? Nothing happened. And But the one thing that did happen is I recognized what I was really meant to be doing. I recognized that my life was not about how long I could make my resume and what next good speaking engagement I could land, but my life was about my relationship with my son, with, with a little boy who really, really needed me. That was where the meaning was in my life. That was where the purpose was in my life. And in those moments in the hospital, I'm thinking back about all of the all the stuff that I had done in my old life, in my previous life. Sasha and I were both academics. I was uh, was a lecturer, was a professor at the City University of New York. She was a lecturer at the University of Kent at Canterbury in England, in another country. We spent 
months and months and months bouncing back and forth across the ocean um, on grants and fellowships and research leave, pursuing our own different careers and trying to be together. But there were big periods where we simply had to be apart in order to keep our careers on track. Mm -hmm. And I remember um, about two years um, uh, before the crash, maybe a bit more, um, I had to be in New York working. Sasha had to be in England working for about eight months. And I had gone back and forth. I'd managed to, to fly uh, back and forth to, to see them every six weeks or so. But during that period, a period that was perfectly sensible for us, we both decided that was a completely rational thing to do, to effectively work on, in different countries while we had a toddler. Well, during that, during that period, Leah took his first steps when I was away in New York. Yes. When I was away. I yes, but you were busy steps. making very rational, efficient, and adult decisions. Absolutely. Absolutely. Weren't but you? I mean, you, you I, were what was best for the family, what was best for the career, yeah. what, what was best for your future. Yeah. And in the meantime, your son took those steps and you weren't there. And I wasn't there. And I don't know how rational they were, but they were normal. I mean, that's what people in That's my what people did. do. Yeah. Um, and uh, a few weeks after he left the hospital, he's, he's walking on, on a, a walking frame. Um, and I remember, I remember with such crystal clarity. He, he puts aside the walking frame in our little front room on our blue carpet from Ikea, and he takes his first three steps for me, towards me, mm-hmm. when doctors had said he will never walk unaided again. See, he takes those three steps, and I just thanked God, I got to see them. Those were, it was such beautiful. So you didn't miss his first steps after all. I, I got a second chance. You got a, you you got a second chance. It is so, mm-hmm. I, I consider myself so lucky to have gotten that second chance. And I, one, of the, one of the messages that I would lo- love for people to take from after the crash, from the book, is that, you know, there, there are incredibly valuable things in life that are right under your nose. There is beautiful thing there are beautiful things there's beauty all around you you just have to keep your eyes open and keep your ears open and be able to recognize it when you find it and those kind of wonderful moments as a young family that i compromised and sasha compromised because of our our investment in our careers i, I now look back on at, and, and think, God, what were we thinking? We were absolutely crazy to make those decisions. But as now, say, my dad used to have a saying that I borrowed. I, I should say I stole it. Uh, and he used to say that your life is either a race or a dance. And, yeah. uh, and I thought that was uh, really appropriate because there was a time in my life where I was racing. And, uh, and similar to you, uh, had tragedy uh, open my eyes. And I felt so disappointed in myself what a shallow person i was that it took a tragedy to uh, sort of shake me by the shoulders and say what are you really doing exactly exactly <laughs> what are you doing rebecca um you know now now let's let's change uh, gears here for just a yeah. moment let's talk about the driver uh, who was responsible for the accident now uh, he admitted that he had been driving for 16 hours without taking any breaks. And he did go to jail for, I think it was two and a half years. Is that right? He was sentenced to two and a half years in prison for, for causing death by dangerous driving. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, as it turned out, um, uh, he ended up serving much less than that. And through the course of 
my own recovery. You, you asked about how I began to put things back together. Well, yes. a really important piece of the puzzle is forgiveness, is, is, is not holding on to the rage and the anger that you might have every right and every reason to feel, but it, it, it can consume you if you're not careful. And about a year after the crash, uh, it became really important for me to reach out to this guy imprisoned who I knew he had a family. Yes, he I had knew, two young children of his own. He did. He had two young children of his own. He was only a few years older than I was. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought, well, you know, I'm feeling compelled to reach out to this guy, to contact him, to tell him that I really don't bear him any ill will, that I really don't hold a grudge against him, that I really don't hate him, that I would like for us both to be able to close this very sad chapter in our lives and move on. So I I sit down and I start writing this letter that I want to send him in prison, and I call our police liaison, who we've been dealing with um, since the crash happened, Mm -hmm. um, and I asked her um, about um, getting him this letter. Um, And she said she would look into it for me, and the next day she called me back, and she said, I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but the driver who was Belgian, the crash happened in England, um, has been repatriated back to Belgium. Um, He served six months and then he was repatriated and he's dropped off of the the system and we don't know know where he is. So I put the letter in the book thinking maybe one day he'll read it there and know that I don't hate him. Well, well, uh, I will tell you that uh, it's interesting that he hasn't reached out uh, but uh, as these things go, we're not. It's not over yet. Uh, there may still be a moment in which uh, he will reach out to you as well. We're going to take a, our last break, and when we come right back, uh, we'll be finishing up with Martin Spinelli. You're listening to the Costa Report. Fifty years ago, Dr. Martin Luther King delivered his famous I Have a Dream speech. But something you may not know is that Dr. King was represented by the world's foremost speaking agency, the American Program Bureau. The American Program Bureau has a courageous history of representing luminaries, entertainers, and motivators from all backgrounds. From Ronald Reagan, Richard Branson, and Mikhail Gorbachev, to John Stewart, Michael Douglas, and Desmond Tutu. From A-list celebrities to best-selling authors, cutting-edge business leaders, and the greatest minds in academia, the American American Program Bureau has speakers to fit every venue and every budget. When corporations, conferences, schools, and community organizations need an expert speaker, they turn to the American Program Bureau to help them craft an event that will be remembered long afterwards. To inquire about a speaker for your next engagement, contact the American Program Bureau at 800-225-4575 or visit our website at apbspeakers.com. The American Program Bureau, making history one speech at a time. I don't know about you, but when I'm invited to someone's home, I like to bring a nice bottle of wine with me, and I I never know what to bring, especially if I don't know what they're serving. So, Scott, help me out. What's a surefire winner? You know, a Pinot Noir is a real great wine as a default to take to dinner because it's so versatile where you can eat it with a variety of fish as well as go the other way towards red meat, porks, ducks. Really anything. And, And so what if they like white wines? What do you recommend? You know, a Chardonnay is always a safe bet because of the familiarity with Chardonnay, um, as well as I always try to get people to take bubbles and um, make it not just an occasion wine, but an enjoyment of the wine. 
Bubbly wine is, I don't know, it's more festive. Always more festive. It is, and it makes the occasion special. So where can people go again to get Caraccioli wines? They can go to our tasting room in downtown Carmel. It's on Dolores Street between Ocean and 7th. Or you could visit the website at www.caracciolicellars.com. Driving has a rhythm all its own. Don't wreck it with a text. Before you get behind the wheel, silence your phone. Or better yet, designate a texter. For more text-free driving tips, visit StopTextStopRex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Did you just look down at your phone? You did it again, didn't you? You know, you're flying down the road in a three-ton hunk of steel. And a text takes your eyes off the road for an average of five seconds. At 55 miles per hour, that's long enough to travel the length of a football field and cause some serious damage. Turn it off. Trust me. Whatever it is, you'll live. Learn more at StopTextStopRex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. All right. I know this isn't any fun to talk about, but we should. So, who's going to do what? Flashlights? Nowhere to be found. Nowhere to be found. Batteries? Dead! Great. Emergency supply kits. Not packed. No. What about blankets? We have an old towel. Good enough. Cell phones. May not work. Uh, emergency water? Not a drop. And what about food? Nope. Perfect. We all know where we're meeting if we're separated, yeah? The library! Aunt Joan's house. The bus stop. Great. And I'll be waiting here wondering where you all are. Sounds like we don't have a plan. Who's up for mini golf? Winging it is not an emergency plan. Make sure your kids know what to do during an emergency. Who to call, where to meet, what to pack. Visit ready.gov kids for tips and information. A public service announcement brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Join Rebecca Costa right now on Facebook. Search facebook.com forward slash Rebecca Costa. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is author of After the Crash, Martin Spinelli. And in the last segment, we were talking about the driver of the truck who served his sentence and then fell off the radar. And uh, we can only hope that the tragedy caused the driver to also become aware of what's important in his life. And uh, perhaps he was responding to that and protecting his family and starting anew. Um, now, the, the National Highway Patrol claims that uh, there are over 100,000 crashes each year due to driver fatigue. And, and for folks who may not think that this is a, a big deal, in a recent study in Australia, uh, they showed that being awake for 18 hours makes you just as impaired as having a .05 alcohol level in your blood and, and point. Um, point one, uh, actually, after 24 hours of staying awake. So let me ask you, what's what's the solution to this? I mean, in addition to drunk driving tests, do we need some kind of tests that the police can administer to declare you sleep impaired? Well, I think that would, I, I wouldn't say no to that. Um, but I think it's really something that everybody just has to take responsibility for on their own. I know that my driving habits have radically changed since this. I mean, I, I used to um, uh, have my mobile phone on, have my cell phone on when, uh, when I was driving, and I was 
I was listening during the break to the public service announcement about not texting while you're driving. I, I think, you know, that, that kind of work, simply getting the message out to people that a car is not just something that gets you from point A to point B, it can also kill people, it can also maim people, it can upend families completely. Simply educating people on the need to take breaks when they're driving and tired. I do that regularly now. If I've been driving for a few hours and uh, you know, I'm, I'm feeling a bit woozy and my eyelids are starting to droop, I take a break. I go for a little jog around the parking lot at some rest stop. Um, I, I, I throw a ball around with my son, uh, but I, I do what it takes to get myself back uh, in the game and to get myself concentrated on the road. But I think it's, 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 it's one of those things that um, uh, it has to be down to, to people taking responsibility for their own actions. I think, um, uh, I, I know in Europe anyway, it's interestingly older people that have more accidents as a result of driver fatigue than younger people. I think when people are just studying for their license, getting their license. We do a good job of hammering into them um, not to drink while driving um, and not to drive while you're tired. But I think those messages um, with the passing of years tend to get a bit fuzzy and fade away. And I think that's a shame. Also, I think we rely on a lot of mitigations. You know, people say, roll your windows down, play your stereo loud, grab a cup of coffee or an energy drink. And, you know, that might get you another 50 miles down the road. But when your body needs rest, it needs actual rest. You can't keep propping it up. Absolutely, absolutely. So, um, you know, these big, long adventures where you're planning on being on the road for 9, 10, 12 hours, um, those are just crazy. Um, you should really be thinking. And I, I know it's hard. I mean, people do it for work. People do it to meet their families. I remember when I was younger, when I was um, studying up in Buffalo, I would drive down to my family in New Jersey, a nine-hour drive regularly for the holidays, and I would do it um, without taking any breaks. And I, I regret um, doing that now, and I would never do something like that again. I, uh, you know, the thing that we have to ask ourselves with texting or with, with making cell phone calls while we're driving is how important is that stuff? You know, we were talking about what is important in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is there anything that your boss or your wife or your boyfriend is going to tell you in that phone call that is so important that you should endanger your own life and the lives of the other people on the road around you? Uh, I don't think so. So, But I don't you know, know I, if our brains really work that way. It, it's... Uh, it's, it's an old saying, you know, I used to tell my friends, you can't think about dying too much or you'll never make a dentist appointment. Well, I, I mean, you know, you, there, there's sort of a, uh, if you start thinking about how short your life is, you won't do anything, right? Uh, because why would you go get your teeth fixed? I mean, well, is that what you if, want to be doing that, in your if, last hour? If that, if that doesn't right. work, then, um, then think about how short you might be making someone else's I life. think that's really and, the heart of the it. the guilt yeah. that you will feel for the well, rest your life, of your life. Yeah, it's not just their life that's ruined. I mean, yeah. you, you, you know, how do you continue when you could have avoided it and you, and you out of foolishness and, uh, and unconsciousness, you caused something that was completely avoidable. Yeah, I don't know. That's, don't that's know unforgivable. That. I, I think that's unforgivable because one of the wonderful things that we have as human beings is our ability to preview 
the outcomes of our actions. Other animals don't have that. We can look ahead and say, if I do this, this is the likely outcome. So maybe uh, I have the I, I can exercise free will and not do it. Yeah. And if uh, we all do that, then we don't have to be an overregulated society. Because think- an overregulated society, to me, is is like admitting we have no self control, no judgment. Yeah. And so the government has to regulate for you because you don't, you can't figure it out yourself. Yeah, and uh, clearly we need, you know, we need a bit of regulation because people do drive drunk, even though we we tell, <laughs> we've told them not to drive drunk over and over and over again. Um, but you know, I, you know, we need the regulations in place. But I think as a supplement to the regulation, or maybe even before the regulation, we need to to drive home to people that there are consequences that we can, as you as you say, think ahead and anticipate potential consequences, and we can make judgments based on that 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 chimpanzees can't. Yes, <laughs> and, there you, you know, go. I think that's what makes us different. <laughs> there, there you go. Now uh, we only have a minute left here. Tell us how Leo's doing today. He is doing fantastically well. He is here in New Jersey with his grandmother where he's going to get spoiled rotten on Christmas Day. That's what we do. Under a ton That's of what we grandparents presents. do. Leave us alone. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and you know what? I'm, I'm going to have to pay for excess baggage to get them all back home. But that's, that's okay. okay. That, that's is, that okay. is okay. And now where can our listeners go to get a copy of the book or to stay in touch with you? You can get a copy of After the Crash at Amazon or at Barnes & Nobles or any bookstore on any main street can order it for you if they don't already have it. Um, my website is afterthecrash.com and I do a blog for Leo, which is leospinelli.com and that's Leo, L-I-O. Mm-hmm. Um, and I post updates regularly about how Leo's doing. And Now uh, spell your last that. name for our audience so they know where to go. S-P-I-N- E-L-L-I. Okay, and that's Martin Spinelli yes. and Leo Spinelli. And uh, Leo's got his own site now, hmm? He does, yeah. <laughs> How about that? Well, that is our program for today. Uh, but before we say goodbye, I want to thank you and Leo for your inspirational story and also for calling attention to drowsy and distracted driving, especially at this time of year. Thank you for taking time to be with us. Thanks, Rebecca. If your station is leaving us after this hour and you have a question or a comment to make about today's program, you can email me at RebeccaCosta.com or send me a note on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and let me know what you thought about our conversation with Mr. Spinelli today. And, and if you missed the full interview with Spinelli or any of our other guests, you can download previous episodes of the Costa Report from our website, Apple iTunes, Podbean, and our new YouTube channel. And I hope that you'll take a moment to link some of your friends to this interview because I think this is a cautionary tale for all of us. Uh, I also want to take a moment to thank listeners who put the Watchman's Rattle on their gift list this year, and especially those of you who ordered autographed copies from our website. And just in case no one thought to get you a good book, there's still time to go to RebeccaCosta.com and order the Watchman's Rattle and take advantage of our free holiday shipping. It's quick and it's also easy. All you do is you go to the website, RebeccaCosta.com, and you click on the book and it takes you straight to a page where you just enter your address. And and you want to know what the best news is? 100%, not 50, not 60, not 90, 100% of the proceeds from your book purchases go toward keeping interviews like the one you just heard today with Martin Spinelli on the air. Now, folks... I receive emails and I hear comments every day that complain 
that you want the media to have more integrity and you want to hear less partisan bickering and more quality content. And this is one place where you can vote with your dollars about the kind of programming and content you want to hear on the air. Through listener support, we have become the fastest growing news program in the country. And we continue to do it. We continue to build our audience and build our franchise the good old-fashioned way. One listener and one book at a time. So I hope you'll take a moment out of your busy day. Do it right now. Go to RebeccaCosta.com and pick up a copy of The Watchman's Rattle. And while we're talking about integrity, (laughs) let me give you a fair warning that I am going to be taking the next week off to spend time with my family. Uh, The station in your area will be rebroadcasting our interview with former CEO of Hewlett Packard, Carly Fiorina. And she has a lot to say about how to create jobs in this economy. Uh, Don't miss Carly Fiorina next week right here on your favorite weekly news program. You're listening to the Costa Report. Did you know that every day we create 2.5 quintillion bytes of data and that 90% of the data in the world today has been created in the last two years alone? This data comes from everywhere and it affects everyone. This data is big data. Big data is all data, and it's more than simply a matter of size. Big data represents an opportunity to uncover new insights, make your business more agile, and answer questions that were previously beyond your reach. IBM's big data platform uses sophisticated technologies and patented advanced analytics designed to complement your existing information infrastructure. The IBM Big Data platform allows you to get started quickly today and expand to address more complex problems tomorrow. It doesn't matter where you start. It matters that you start. Find out how IBM can help you turn big data into a competitive advantage by visiting ibm.com slash big data today. Are you living paycheck to paycheck? Are your credit cards maxed out? Not paying some bills so you can take care of others? Or are you behind on the rent or utility bills? There is no better time than now to get your finances in order. The National Foundation for Credit Counseling, a nonprofit organization, offers a number of steps you can take to get yourself on the way to living debt-free. Track your spending for one month and report all your expenses, what kind and how much you spent. Use that to figure out where you can trim the fat. Look for low-cost alternatives to reduce expenses. Pack your lunch instead of buying it. Go to the library instead of the bookstore. When your credit card bills arrive, pay more and pay extra, exceeding the minimum payment. For more tips on how to recover from debt or get help in developing a budget, contact the NFCC to reach a certified counselor at 1-800-388-2227 or visit DebtAdvice.org. That's 1-800-388-2227 or visit DebtAdvice.org. A public service message from the NFCC. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 